ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. You've tuned in to another episode of Bad Jew. And for choosing this show out of the millions of shows that currently exist right now, I want to thank you and just appreciate you and take the time to recognize that there are millions of shows out there. You chose ours. And um, in, I have an amazing announcement to make, and that is that we just got a report from one of the softwares that we use in the back end called Chartable that Bad Jew has just made it to the top 10% in, this ter- in the genre of Judaica. Wow. and the genre and religious studies podcasts in general. So really excited about that. And I got to thank you guys, the listeners, for taking the time to not only consume the content, comment, leave reactions, DM me. It always means the world. I want you to know that I am always available. My Bad Jew community is always available as well. It is a WhatsApp group chat where it is a safe space to engage with other Jews from around the world to ask questions and to learn from each other in a safe space. It is a judgment-free zone. And we encourage you, if you're watching, to go to the link in the bio, find our community outreach form, fill it out, and you'll just have to, you'll get a text from me and we'll get started from there. It'll be pretty epic. With us today, though, is none other than Claire Perlman. Claire, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me, Chaz. I am very excited to be here. I'm doing great. Amazing. I love it. I, I, the way that I met you, we met at this wonderful Moisha House event called Camp Nine and I. In fact, if you go onto my TikTok, you can see day one of Camp Nine and I, A Day in the Life of a Bad Jew, part four, I believe, on top of my head. Mm-hmm. And I just did a vlog about getting there. And it was just so exciting and so much fun. And Claire was there she taught this amazing class called kink in Torah. And I had never heard of such a thing. And I was like, well, we gotta go explore this. Claire is a sex therapist. She's going to tell her life story right now in four minutes on the bad Jew challenge. Are you ready to get started? I am ready. Are you going to give me like two minute countdowns or just going to do it? Oh, you're about to find out. Okay. Okay. Grew up in Los Angeles in Santa Monica um, to two Jewish parents, and I have one younger sister. Judaism was not a huge part of my life, um, but it did feel important. It really became a centerpiece of my life when I went to college at UC San Diego, and I became involved with Hillel. I was a Hillel intern and loved it so much that I then did my first full-time job as the Hillel engagement person at San Diego State with Jackie. Tolly, shout out to Jackie Tolly, and loved it so much and decided that I needed a master's um, to be able to move up in my career, either with Hillel or as I'd always been kind of thinking in the back of my head, therapy. Um, And so then I got a master's in social work from San Diego State. And that was kind of fun because I went from being the Hillel person to a student at Hillel um, at the same place that I worked. And after that, I was ready to leave San Diego. um, And I wanted to find a place with a larger Jewish community and a faster pace of life. So I took myself on a little around America trip and checked out a bunch of different cities that I knew had larger young Jewish um, communities. And I landed in San Francisco and experienced 
the young adult community of Congregation Emmanuel, um, where we do late Shabbat once a month. It's the best thing ever, second Friday of every month. And it is the largest gathering of young adult West Coast Jews. Um, and it is so, so special and incredible. And when I went there, I knew that I had found my place. And so, of course, then I wanted to be on the board. Um, and I am now the chair, the head of the Young Adult Leadership Committee through um, Congregation Emmanuel. And as I did all of that, I was working professionally as a therapist and I was working in schools. And um, then last year I got my certification. Well, I started working on my certification to become a sex therapist. I was already a licensed clinical social worker and I am almost finished with my sex therapy certification. And I opened up my private practice last August, 2022 and launched Sex Clarified, which you can find on Instagram and TikTok um, and my website. And it's just been an amazing journey since then. I've been working full-time as a sex therapist. I also love to continue to teach about Judaism and sex um, and to integrate all of those passions in my life. Um, should I add more? I still have a minute and a half. It's a um, minute and a half. It's your minute okay. and a half. Okay. Uh, so Chaz and I met at uh, Camp 999, which is really special um, and dear to my heart because it combines camp, it combines young adult Judaism, it combines me being able to teach, um, and all of those things just really light up my soul. I also used to be a summer camp kid. Um, I went to Jameson Ranch Camp, which was not a Jewish camp, um, but it was full of Jews because Jews love camp. And I just one of my main things in life is to be able to make sex accessible to people, to be able to make Judaism accessible to people. Um, and both of those topics can be really hard and really vulnerable and sometimes come with a lot of shame. Um, so that to me is so important to be able to bring that to all of the communities that I go to. Um, and in the future, I hope to be able to bring comprehensive sex education to public schools um, and to be able to continue to give back to my Jewish community in whatever way, shape and form. And you can follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Sex Clarified. Beautiful. Well said. And I'm putting all that in the banner below. Thank you so much. You knocked that out of the park. You <laughs> You've done this before, haven't you? I just can talk really fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, now we know uh, the kind of Jewish mom that you are. So that's great. Mm -hmm. um, perfect. So Claire, reason why people clicked on this podcast, just to prove that this is not clickbait, right? Is they want to learn about how to have sex Jewishly. You might be someone on the religious, on the more religious side of the spectrum. You might be Orthodox and you're wondering what part does that play in the Torah and what do I not know yet, right? Mm -hmm. You might be on the other side of that spectrum where you are secular and maybe you've gone ahead and live life however you've wanted. But now that Judaism is becoming more apparent to your identity, you're wondering how your sexuality plays a part in that as well. So how do you have sex Jewishly? Well, the Torah and the Talmud have a lot to say about sex, how to have it, what's the best way to have it. And I've been thinking about this question and there's no short answer. I feel like we can, as a true Jew, answer a question with another question and ask, how do you not have sex Jewishly? 
Like Ooh, sex okay. is just inherently Jewish to me. There is. Yeah, can you explain that? What does that mean? Yeah. 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 Because sex is such, we are one of the few religions that teach real sex positivity. Now, I will say that everything that the Torah and Talmud has to say about sex is extremely heteronormative. It's all about being married to be able to have sex, although there is a lot of prostitution in there. So, you know, if you're a dude and you have a prostitute, apparently it's fine. Um, And I think that having sex and pleasuring each other is such a Jewish value. And I can cite a lot of sources, which we'll talk about how that is talked about in the Torah and Talmud. Um, And so to me, sex is just an inherently Jewish act. And, And I would agree with that. I did some light research before we jumped on and I found this graphic here, which, you know, exactly what you had described is that you know, again, heteronormative between husband and wife. So it is, yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head about that. But the Torah uh, does describe a concept called Yod Dalet Ayin, which means to know. And that is basically when it is right between your heart and your mind to have sex, as it describes. Um, Another part further down, I thought this was really fascinating as well, is that if either prospective spouse finds the other physically repulsive, the marriage is forbidden. So mm-hmm. acknowledging that you actually have to be attracted to the other person, which I kind of find funny if you had to tell a matchmaker, like the matchmaker we had from Netflix's Jewish matchmaking, Aliza Ben Shalom, if you told her, oh, she's physically repulsive, or he's physically repulsive, or anyone in the match is physically repulsive, mm-hmm. it's no longer allowed. Mm-hmm. But what I love, and like you said, it is very sex positive. Sex should only be experienced in a time of joy. Sex for selfish personal satisfaction without regard for the partner's pleasure is wrong and evil. A man may never force his wife to have sex. A couple may not have sex relations while drunk or quarreling. Sex may never be used as a weapon against a spouse, either by depriving the spouse of sex or by compelling it. It is a serious offense to use sex to punish or manipulate a spouse. So I don't think I've ever seen that ever really confronted or talked about yep. in any other religion personally. In fact, it's very taboo in other yeah. religions. Yeah, it's not. And so when I like to talk about sex and Judaism, especially as a queer Jew, I think it's important that we, when when we discuss what's written in the Torah and Talmud, it's easy to talk about, you know, the man, the woman, the wife, husband, whatever. But what I like to say is I want everyone to take that and apply it to their own life, like with their partner, with whoever they're seeing, whatever their life looks like. Maybe they have multiple partners. If we're referencing the actual text, then to me, then it makes sense to say what it actually says. But what I want everyone to extrapolate from it is that like this can be applicable to anywhere. Like you don't have to be husband and wife and be married to be able to have sex. So that that is how I like to interpret Torah. So I just wanted to like put that out there. But I definitely think almost, if not all other religions are not talking about this kind of thing. I love that you brought that up because that is part of, you know, the pieces of text that I like to teach. The other thing that I really love is in Deuteronomy, it says, when a man has taken a bride, he shall not go out with the army or be assigned to it for any purpose. He shall be exempt one year for the sake of his household to give happiness to the woman he has married. So just like, let that sink in. He's literally not allowed to go to the army because he needs to stay home to give happiness which was 
for sex, not for purpose of procreation, but rather for pleasure. And because to give happiness is not necessarily to give a child or to like create life. We can talk all about not spilling seed, et cetera, but it's, it's literally to pleasure your wife. There's that to me is so huge because the Torah is literally telling us to pleasure our wives. Imagine your commanding officer, the general of the army saying, take one year leave, go get laid. Like yeah. that's what, that's what they're saying. And I think that's yeah. really intriguing. So, okay. So you take one year off, you pleasure your wife. It's not even for procreation. It's just for pleasuring your wife. Mm -hmm. To give happiness. Right. To give happiness. Right. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? And then you get to go on, on with your, with your life. However, the other, my other favorite thing about like that's written in the Torah and Talmud is that it literally writes out how often you are supposed to be having sex with your wife, depending on what your job is. And that to okay. me is one of the best things that is in the Torah. <laughs> okay. So is there, is there a breakdown of the jobs? Like what jobs mm -hmm. were relevant to the Torah for even for, for the, for the Torah to even comment on that's whoa. There were some pretty great jobs. So traveling more than half the month for work, which a lot of people do, you are required. And this is at the minimum amount. Okay. You have to at least offer your wife or your partner sex is once a month. If you travel more than half the month for work, if you have a day job, you have to offer at least twice a week. And if you're self-employed or independently supporting yourself, which is me and you, uh, it's every single day. <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, we got, right. we got lucky. Um, <laughs> and the Torah goes on to say that if you're a camel driver, you're supposed to offer once every 30 days. If you're a sailor twice a year, because you don't know where you're going to be and right. day laborers twice a week. <laughs> that's such a specific order. So that's, that's a really intriguing concept. Okay. So Got it. Got it. And these are these are some of the things, of course, that you had talked about at your Kink and Torah class at Camp mm -hmm. Nine and I. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a wonderful way to explore. I, I think I think it was a great opportunity to, to, to learn Torah in that regard in this unique way. I want to go back to one thing that you had said earlier, mm -hmm. and that is that you had interpreted Torah the way that you've that you what you've taken from Torah is that even though it does say that it is supposed to be a marital act, mm -hmm. that it doesn't have to be. And so how do you get to that conclusion? Can you draw some dotted lines for us? Well, that probably comes from the fact that I am not super religious. Okay. <laughs> um, and to me, what, what I love about Judaism is that so much of it is up to interpretation. Now, a lot of super Orthodox people might disagree with me a bit here, but as a reform Jew, Part of my Jewish journey is interpreting Torah in the way that makes sense for my reform Jewish life. Um, and for me, that does not mean waiting until marriage to engage in sexual relations, because that just is not a sustainable practice for me. I also think that a lot of when the Torah was written, created, that made a lot more sense. And people were getting married way younger and they were living a lot 
less long. And so to be married at, you know, 21 or whatever, maybe like 16, and then to live until 35, like, okay, all of these laws made sense. You probably don't want to be pregnant from someone else because you don't know if they're going to provide for you. However, that's not the life that I live now. And so it's important for me to be able to interpret Torah in a way that makes more sense for my current life. I think that makes sense. And also what you had said about it was written in a time for different people that was actually covered by Keely Haver Goldstein, who is, you know, an interior designer. She's an Orthodox Jewish woman, but she talked about the episode was, is Judaism sexist? And we Mm. talked about how the Torah was written for a time for it to be received and understood. And if it was written too far beyond its years, it wouldn't have been accepted. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have been accepted when God gave it to the human being, to us humans, Mm -hmm. to to the chosen people. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do think that like this is this is where my opinions become uh, I, I have a tough time wrapping my head around certain principles. And that is that when can you take concepts that are written in black and white up for interpretation? And when is something supposed to be? solidified in time as in, in Hebrew, they would call it emmet, which means truth, right? What is considered emmet versus what can be interpreted? And I think that this subject really confronts that question in a very upfront and in apparent way. Yeah. I also think that one of the central tenets of Judaism is questioning everything. And so to me, it is so Jewish for us to reinterpret these kinds of laws and and things that are posited in the Torah, like this to me is part of my heritage to be able to question this. It's part of my culture. It's part of the way that I live my life. So to be able to interpret it in another way, to ask questions, to push against it, that to me is, is like a holy act because it's Jewish. And when you go about your life with your own interpretations, what kind of pressures or disagreements do you face for those actions personally um what kind if of, that's okay for me to ask well can you can you um can you clarify hey i don't, good, I don't uh, think i know plug, what you're saying good good plug for your brand by the way clarify.com uh, <laughs> let me just put the banner over here what i'm what i'm getting at is is i i wonder do people I, for this is totally from a from a human being standpoint, from a communal standpoint. Have you had to deal with criticisms for living a different lifestyle than what is in the Torah? Mm. So the temple that I belong to and go to is Reform, um, and I've always grown up in a really Reform environment. I have had a lot of connections with people who are more religious than me, but because I am mostly surrounded by people who are generally at my current religious level, I don't get a lot of pushback. I might get pushback for being like too Jewy um, or like wanting to learn more stuff about the Torah and the Talmud. Like that, right. that I think I would get more pushback on, honestly. Okay. So I, I respect that. I, I hear you there. And on the flip side of it, is there anything from the Orthodox perspective and how they handle sexuality that you either find validity from or that there is a sense of redemption for it. Is there anything on that regard that you would that you would agree with on from from their perspective on that? This might be a hot take. Yeah, go for it. Hot take, <laughs> but, just do it. 
<laughs> bear with me here. This is not like a full on, I agree to this whole thing. Okay. But when, again, in a heterosexual relationship, etc., married, when a woman is on her period, she then has to abstain from sexual contact, etc., with her husband. And then until she goes to the ritual bath, the mikvah. Now, I'm not saying I agree with that, because, especially because the idea is that she's dirty, et cetera. What I agree with and what I like is the creation of a little bit of space that holds some mystery between the couple. It, it creates a sense of mystery and space and that is where eroticism lives. Mm. And if you've ever listened to Esther Perel, one of the things that she brings up is that eroticism wants mystery, love wants stability. And so our modern conundrum with our current relationships is that we want both love and eroticism, and it's hard to find eroticism in stability. And so I'm not saying that people need to not touch each other for seven days and go to the ritual bath, but what you can gain from that kind of approach to things, the creation of a little bit of space, is creating that piece of eroticism. And I think Orthodox couples can speak to this, that sometimes, you know, they'll say things like, it's just so much hotter, you know, when I come back after the mikvah, or it's like, it really builds this anticipation, or we really connect on another level that's not physical when we're apart in that way. And I think we all actually have something to gain from that because it makes them less comfortable in their connection 24 seven in their physical connection, that it's not something they just take for granted because it's always there. And so they create this space for eroticism to live and grow. And I think if we all brought a little bit more of that into our current relationships, we would all benefit. You know, this ties into a conversation I had with, with my rabbi who is from Orthodox, but this was not spoken about from a sexual standpoint. This was just a, a concept about there's a there's a specific Hebrew phrase, and I'm I'm not even going to attempt to say it correctly. But the concept is that miracles happen when no one is looking, mm. right? So I think that that was a really fascinating concept because when our eyes and our senses are not aware of the thing that you most desire, good things come your way. They, you, it just, that's, that's the principle of life, right? Maybe mm -hmm. you're at work and then one day you get an email saying that from the, from the dream prospect of your life and that person wants to close a deal with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's take that out of perspective. Let me take a real life example. You know, before I had met Kelly, right. My, my current girlfriend, I met her once, didn't speak to her for months. <laughs> and then because I opened up the pathway for a lot more mitzvot to happen in my life, Hmm. I really do believe that because I, because of my big awakening that I had in Israel, when I came back, like it opened up the door for us to reconnect and actually go on a date. Like That's later beautiful. on. Yeah. Thank you. So like we hadn't spoken for several months between the first time we met and our first date. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of moments like that where I think that it's actually really brave for people to allow space between the things I love that will 
technically on paper bring them to their ultimate goal in life you know it, it just it takes bravery it's really hard to do you have to have yeah. faith that it's going to lead somewhere one day yeah i think that was really well said wow amazing and thank you for sharing that. That, that, that was such a hot take. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to also um, pull out the second part of this article. This, the mm-hmm. article that I pulled from earlier was from, it was from a, a site called Jew FAQ mm-hmm. and they pulled up this. They also talked about birth control, mm. um, which I thought was really fascinating. And that birth control surprisingly is permitted that even though we're a procreation religion, mm. We're supposed to have pro, uh, we're supposed to have birth control. So long as the couple is committed to eventually fulfilling the mitzvah to be fruitful and multiply, mm-hmm. the issue is not birth control, is not whether it is permitted, but whether what what method is permitted. So I think mm-hmm. that was really fascinating. The Talmud does talk about that. So yeah, as a sex therapist, I was going to ask you, what is your experience talking about birth control, and does that tie into Judaism at all in your practice? I would say that it ties less into Judaism in my practice, but I do talk about birth control often. <laughs> you know, there are so many different kinds of birth control, and it's so important to be aware of what birth control you or your partner or the people that you're playing with might be using and how that might affect you or your hormones or your partner's hormones. A lot of couples struggle with infertility. They struggle with, you know, all the kinds of different hormonal changes that going on and off birth control might bring you. So I do think and talk about birth control a lot, but I would not say that it's like a very Jewish thing that I talk about. Fascinating. What is something out there that most Jewish couples miss when it comes to their intimate time in the bedroom? I would say that this is generalizable across all couples is that sex does not begin in the bedroom and it doesn't end in the bedroom. Sex is sex is created by all of the nuances that happen across all of the days. Once again, with Esther Perel, my favorite, she likes to say that sex begins at the end of the last orgasm. Sex begins the end of the last orgasm. Why would it quote unquote begin? I don't understand. Well, it's sex is not, I think, I think sex is a bad, gets a bad rap that it just happens in that maybe 10 minutes leading up to whatever sexual play you have. But really sex is in putting the dishes away for your partner. Sex is in telling your partner that they looked really good this morning. Sex is in texting them that you're so excited to see them later. Sex is in bringing them a coffee to work because you know they rushed out the door. Sex is in all of the little moments. That is what brings people excitement to having sex with their partner, especially when you're in a long-term relationship and that like honeymoon period has worn off. You can't just rely on random motivation by just looking at your partner. If you've been looking at the same person for eight years, that's not going to do it for you. What's going to do it for you is the environmental factors that get put in, the intentionality around building up that anticipation for sex. And to me, sex is so much more than just physicality. It's eroticism. It's all of this energy that you're bringing to each other. It's making sure that you kiss your partner on the lips before you leave. It's making sure that you have that final hug. All of that to me is sex. 
And I think what people would really gain from life is approaching sex that way. I think I see what you're saying. You're talking about incorporating that kind of emotional purpose that you mm -hmm. would get from sex into the love languages outside of the bedroom as well. All these different and concepts you're talking about, yeah, gift giving, one of the love languages, right? Acts mm -hmm. of service, another language, mm -hmm. love language that you just described. Mm -hmm. There's uh, words of affirmation that you were describing as mm -hmm. well as quality time. Mm -hmm. Those are all kinds of aspects that are part of your most intimate parts of your life that could, you know, it just, it sounds like really bring about a, a certain kind of affection or really reignite certain passions in someone's relationship. That's really wonderful. I've never thought of it that yeah. way. Yeah. It's about acknowledging that people want to have sex with you more if you're putting intention and effort into the other parts of the relationship. And that sometimes people will come up, a lot of my couples will come to me and say, we're not having sex anymore. You know, this is what's happening. And I'll say, well, how are you connecting otherwise? And, you know, life is busy. It can be hard, especially when you're in a long-term relationship or you have kids, all of that. And if you're not connecting, even in the small moments, right? Like I just talked about a kiss as you leave, but at a certain point, 20 years in a marriage, sometimes you're like, okay, bye, you know, no kiss on the lips. But honestly, that kiss can be the thing that changes things. Cuddling naked at night, as opposed to not cuddling or cuddling in your clothes. It's having those small moments, that's what creates people wanting to have sex with other people. Wow. Well said. And I think it's really a privilege to have you here on the podcast. I think that there are definitely more concepts to explore that we should definitely bring you on in a future episode for. I think this was just really fun dissect with you. And you're also just a fun person in general. And I'm really glad oh. that we did get to meet in that way. Thanks, so yes. uh, yeah, no, Claire, thank you again so much for being on Bad Jew. What is the best way for people to reach out should they want to acquire your services or simply just follow and support your content? Yeah, um, you can find me at Sex Clarified on all platforms. And if you want to work with me as your therapist, you can go to my website, sexclarified.com, fill out an intake questionnaire, and then we'll go from there. Wonderful. Claire, it's really been a pleasure to have you here on the Bad Jew Podcast. And for the listeners out there, please do remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on any platform that you're listening to. Thanks again for being a part of the show. If you want to be a part of the WhatsApp community, be sure to email badjewpod at gmail.com or go to the link in the bio and fill out our, our intake form as well. Thanks again for being on the podcast. We'll see you next time. Shalom.
שלום.